The scripture today is taken from John chapter 4, verses 1 to 30. Jesus and the woman of Samaria. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A woman, a Samaritan woman, came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that give that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to come come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to see him. We welcome you today again to Western Park Baptist Church on this uh, bright sunny day here in Toronto. Um, 
middle of May, we're getting there, a lovely day. We have been looking at a theme of God who comes towards us, the God who comes towards us. We've been looking at a variety of Old Testament figures uh, and showing how the different nuances of that reality. Today we jump to the New Testament, to the piece in John 4 of Christ's encounter with the woman at the well. And again, this theme of God coming toward us, and it, it, there's a major leap here. And the leap is that of the theological theme of the incarnation, that God takes on flesh in Christ. So if anything, God coming towards us, you know, it just goes big, big screen here now because God takes on flesh in Jesus. So it's dramatic step of God coming towards us. So it's, it's a wonderful truth, a wonderful theme that we explore every Advent, and we pick up that reality today. So John chapter 4, God coming towards us, um, revealing himself in Christ as the Messiah. So that, that's, that's our theme. So when we pick up the text in John chapter 4, we remember that Christ, it's early in Christ's ministry, and he has been in the Judah region, Jerusalem, and he has actually not really been received all that well. So it's early in his ministry, and already there are rumblings from the elite and the establishment of who, who, who is this guy. And so it's interesting that Jesus decides to go with his disciples back to the north, to Galilee, and they intentionally go through Samaria, which is really foreign territory, right? So you've got Judah on the south, Galilee in the north, Samaria in between. The Samaritans were folk who were repopulated in the, in the region after the Assyrian um, dynasty and, and that time when they're repopulating that part of the country. And so the Samaritans have grown over time into a different faith group, a different faith establishment, although they are children of Abraham. But it's interesting that Jesus intentionally goes into this region. And it's also interesting that Jesus' reception in Samaria is a lot better and stronger than it was in Judah. So, you know, that, that speaks to us. We'll have to explore that a little bit. Why, why is that the case? Why is Jesus um, received better in that area? So it's been a long journey, and Jesus is tired. It's interesting. It's the only time in the Gospels that we hear of actually Jesus being tired. We assume that, but here it says it. He's tired from the journey. It's rolling, mountainous areas, dry, obviously, desert areas. So he's hot. He needs to drink. He's, it's just all that going on. You, you know, he's exhausted. The disciples actually have gone into town to buy some food and so on. And so he's alone there, and he's sitting by the well of Jacob, who we looked at last week, Jacob's well. And so while he's there, he, he is sitting, and a, a woman comes, and he asks for a drink. So that, that's the story. But it begins with a view of Jesus' humanity. Jesus, the Son of God, sitting at the well, and he needs a glass of water. I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? So that's, that's, that's the reality. So that's the setting of what we're looking at. So here we read, 
John 4, 6, 7. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well, and it was about noon, so it's midday, very hot. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So we're looking at John 1, 4, 1 to 26. The whole piece divides into three phases. And the first phase has to do with the theme of water and living water, the beginning. So we know the story. You probably know it. Jesus takes the initiative. He jumps in and he says, would you draw me a, a cup of water? And so the woman responds as a Samaritan with two questions. And the first question is essentially, well, that's a surprising move. Why, why would you, a Jew, be asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a cup of water? And the point is, is that the, the, there are no interactions, conversations between Jews and Samaritan women. That just was a no-no. But the point beneath it all is, is that Jesus has no cup. So then he has to ask for a cup of water. And the Samaritan woman picks up on that because she's thinking, well, you're going to have to use my cup. You're asking me for a cup of water, so I draw water, and now I'm going to give you my cup that I've drunk out of it, and my other Samaritans have drunk out of it, never a Jew drunk out of it, and now you're going to drink out of it. And she's puzzled by that. She's wondering, like, well, what's going down here? This is, this is very odd. Why would you ask me for that? No one asks that. So that's the first question. You have no cup. Why? Do you want to drink from my cup? And Jesus responds by saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. So that's the theme of water, living water. Jesus says, well, there, there's more possibly going on here, if you'll take time to think about it, than what you're asking. That I can give you something that actually quenches your thirst, metaphorically something that gives abundant life. The woman goes on and says, well, that sounds good to me. I like water like that. Give me water so that I won't get thirsty. So you can read the text. It goes into a bit more detail than that, but that's the basic idea. Jesus asks. She questions. His response is, I can give you something too. So in this first bit, we, we see two ideas. One is acceptance that Jesus breaks all the rules here. There's, there's the rule of gender. There's the rule of race. The, these barriers, Jew, Samaritan, religion, different religion. And, and Jesus is, is reaching out to this woman, and really to all the Samaritan groups, and, and saying, I accept. You have acceptance from me. So... He reaches beyond gender and race and reaches out to this woman in a way that rabbis would never do. So it's a, a statement of acceptance. Jesus accepts the woman. So, Jesus' view towards us, his acceptance towards us, no matter what has happened in the past. We're going to see some of the ramifications of that with this woman. Secondly, there is inclusion. That Jesus... Right from the beginning, again, very early in his ministry, is reaching out beyond Israel. He's reaching out to this different group. The Samaritans were a different group. They didn't even go to the temple in Jerusalem. They didn't, they didn't believe in worshiping in, in the temple in Jerusalem. And Ju Judaism was all about that. 
they had established their own place of worship on another mountain, and it was different, man. But Jesus is showing that I'm here also for you. So it's a a message of love, of mercy, of compassion. It's a concern for the other. So, you know, in our day, this has been a huge issue. What is our response to the other, to the person who's different? Huge issue in the United States, but here in Canada as well. What is our response to the other? So whoever that other is, what's our response? So what's our response to people from different cultures? I'm a white person. I'm part of the dominant culture here in Canada. So what's my position in response to folk who are coming from different parts of the world? Different faiths. Around our church here in Weston, you know, many folk um, worship in terms of Islam. So what's our response? What's our response to the gay community? How do we respond? Jesus' message here is one of inclusion. So I like what uh, Chichester writes here, for the sake of the world, for the sake of the church, you and I must demand otherness. We must refuse to be imprisoned by a one-sided world in a one-minded church. We must change our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh so that the Messiah, who has surely come, may finally rise again in us. Otherness. So Jesus' view of acceptance, Jesus' view of inclusion, that the living water that he offers is for everyone in the world. We're going to hear the statement from the Samaritan community that comes out to see Jesus later on in the text that we believe in him because he is the Savior of the world they say, the savior of the entire world. They recognize that something different is going on because this Jewish rabbi is reaching out to them. So that's the first phase, the phase of water and living water. Jesus now takes the conversation a little bit deeper and it's it's about the woman's and Jesus' identity. So Jesus responds in verse 16, Uh, We'll just read that interesting statement. Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. That's interesting. So Jesus starts drilling down a little bit deeper. He says, okay, we've talked about water. Now let's talk about you and let's talk about me a little bit. Go and get your husband. And so the woman is honest and she says, well, I have no husband. That's true. And then Jesus, seeing into the woman, says something quite startly. He says, well, actually, you know, you've had five husbands, whether it's formal or not. And the one you're living with now is the sixth and it's not your husband. So He's drilling down into her identity. Note, there's no critique here. There's no judgment. He's just acknowledging this is the way it is. And he's saying this to her, that recognizing her identity, that she is alone. That she sees herself as a failure. 
certainly a failure in relationships. And she is marginalized. Interesting that she is there alone by herself at the hottest time of the day, noon. She comes to the well and draws by herself. Now, why is that happening? Why doesn't she come with the other women? Well, she's not accepted by the other women. She, in her own group, the Samaritan group, is a loner. They judge and critique her. She won't come then because there's just too much gossip. There's too much going on. It's just too much. So she prefers to come by herself later on. So Jesus understands and reaches out to this woman who, who, who is on the margins of society, who is being critiqued, who is being judged from her own group. He's not judging her, but she's received lots of judgment. So she sees herself, at least in this area, as one who has made mistakes, who has failed, and interesting that Jesus speaks to her. So we have an exploration of her identity. At that point, the woman, I don't know, is she trying to deflect? And she says the second question, well, I see that you must be a prophet. Because she, re she recognizes the truth of what he said. So essentially, are you a prophet then? And Jesus' response to her is, is quite amazing. Let's just read it. Uh, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. And then she goes into, well, we worship on one mountain, you worship on another. And she tries maybe to deflect that way. And then Jesus' response to her is, well, geography about worship really isn't what it's all about. It's about your heart, your spirit. So, I mean, I teach a course on, on worship over the years. This is an important statement, verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's a classic statement. Interesting, God desires those who worship him in spirit and truth. God wants that. He desires that. It gives him pleasure, the God of the universe, when people enter into an honest relationship and recognize the difference between creature and creator. He honestly wants those who will worship him in spirit and truth. All around the planet, who are those who are worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Jesus says that's what the Father wants. We have all of our classifications and categories. We, we like to plug people in here like in a, a celestial accountant, right? We'll put everybody everywhere. And the Father is looking at the heart and says, I want those who will worship me in spirit and in truth. So that's how Jesus responds to this little deflection, maybe. And then he carries on, and he says this. The woman says, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. I know that there is a God who comes towards us. That's our theme. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And then Jesus says, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. This is the clearest statement of Jesus in terms of being the Messiah in all of the Gospels. She says, I'm looking forward, and we Samaritans are looking forward to the Messiah who will come. 
And Jesus says, I am he. I am. That, that's, the, that's the name that the Father gave to Moses when Moses is saying, who will, who will I say sent me to Pharaoh? The Father says, I am. I am who I am. I am who I will be. I will be who I will be. It's this play on I am, and here Jesus says, and in the, in the Greek language here, it's clearly I am. I am he. So it really blows me away, actually, that the only time in all of the Gospels when Jesus says that, it's to this Samaritan woman sitting at the well. She doesn't say it, he doesn't say it, note, in chapter 3, when he has the conversation with Nicodemus, who is, the, who is a rabbi and who is a Ph.D. and well-educated. He doesn't say that to him. In fact, he says, man, you're a teacher of the law. Like, come on, you're not getting it at all. To this Samaritan woman, she's, he says, I am. We are looking forward to the Messiah who will come, the woman says. And Jesus says, I am. I am the Messiah. God is coming towards you and to this community, and he's coming in me. That's what Jesus is saying. It's a very big statement. And he says it to this woman, note, of a different ethnicity and of a different faith group. This is who Jesus says, I am. So we can think all we want about all the categories of how we place people and we can be missing completely the point. Jesus says to her, I am. Wow. I am the Messiah. It's a huge reality. It's, it's wonderful to see. So the pivotal point for us in this series is just really these two verses. We're looking forward to the Messiah that will come. The Samaritan woman says, Jesus says, I am he. So it says something then about water and living water. And the second phase now is about identity, your identity and my identity and the possibility of grace and transformation, even as we saw last week with Jacob. And now it's offered to the woman at the well. So I hope you, you get to see that a little bit, the excitement of this passage. It's, it's, it's transformative. And if it can be for this woman, it can be for us. So then we go on to the third phase. And the third phase, the final one, is the woman acting as witness and as a disciple. Hear it. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? And they left the city and were on their way to him. Interesting that after all this, she goes out in the middle of the heat of the day to get some water. She has this interaction with Jesus, and then she runs back and she doesn't even bring her water jug. The whole purpose of going and getting water, she forget that, the water jug's there. I'm going back to tell the people that I have maybe met the Messiah, and the Messiah actually has spoken with me. Wow! That would blow her mind. So she runs off without the water jug. And note, the people are so moved by what she says that they come out in mass to hear Jesus speak. And Jesus is impressed with their authenticity and honesty that he spends two more whole days. 
Finally, he's got an audience here, man, who is ready to listen a little bit. Jesus just runs with it. Two days here. Not the Jewish people, the Samaritans. I'm going to stay here, talk with them. Probably was a real shot in the arm for Jesus, our Lord, that now we, I've got an audience that actually wants to hear something. So we have these three phases. Now, what, what, what are they about? A few minutes of application at the end. First of all, it is a message of hope for, for all of us. And particularly for those who are on the margins, those who are out there, who are judged and critiqued, whoever they might be, Jesus comes and brings this message of hope to the Samaritans, to all of us. No longer outcasts, no longer marginalized. Why? Because he is the savior of the world. Hope. Coretto has this statement on hope. Indeed, with him, every person may become a child of the most high, glorified flesh, an impregnable creature, meaning one you can't can't overcome, a divine tent, a holy one of God, an inheritor of the kingdom. That, That is our hope. Beyond this world, to become this holy one, an inheritor of God, a child of God, a child of the creator of the universe, that is the message of hope. Jesus says to her, if you only knew who was speaking to you, you would would realize what an important thing is going on right here. And she begins to get it. And so we're invited to live in hope in spite of all the crap, in spite of all the discouragements, in spite of all the hassles you might have, and I know you have hassles. In this pandemic, everybody is having hassles. But it's a message of hope to all of us. Lift up our eyes. The horizon is one of hope, not despair, not discouragement. In spite of challenges that have happened to you, happened to you this week, whatever they might be. A word of hope. That is what Jesus is saying. God coming toward us. If Jesus is who he says he is, then it is a message of hope, transformative hope, if we will receive that into our lives. Secondly, to drink from this source. It's about our source. It's about hope. It's about our source. Jesus is the well. This whole story takes place at Jacob's well. It's symbolic. Draw the water. Water that quenched Jacob's thirst, will now quench ours. Jesus is our source for living water. He is the Messiah. He comes to strengthen us. A few weeks ago we saw Elijah, and Elijah drinking and eating food and drink from heaven, and he runs into the desert, travels 200 miles out there for 40 days. It's a picture of being strengthened by God, by Christ, drinking from the well of Jesus. And we know that we need to drink up, right? We need to drink every day. Our well goes dry. So we need to drink from Jesus so that we keep drinking from him. He is our source. Your money is not your source. Your career is not your source. Not your strength. 
Your physical health is ultimately not your source. From our perspective in Christ, we're to drink from the well of Jesus. And then thirdly, it's about purpose. Our purpose is one of being part of the work of the kingdom of God. We are to bring in the kingdom of God in our world. To make this planet a healthier place. To make our communities a healthier place. We all have our job in our own way, your way, my way, to make it a little better than how we found it. Purpose. Interesting, Carl Jung said at one point that in his medical efforts, a psychologist, psychiatrist, he said, one-third of all the people that come to me, there is no medical psychosis. There is no problem. He says the problem is, is they have no purpose. One-third of all the people who come to see me, there's nothing wrong with them, man, other than they don't have purpose. They need purpose. And Jesus comes to give us purpose. So the woman runs off without her water jug, goes back to town, and becomes a witness, a disciple for Christ, and very effective at it because the whole community comes out. No, she's a woman. You know what? We still have churches all across North America where a woman can't preach. Get that. They can't get up behind the pulpit and preach. 2,000 years ago, Jesus sends a woman back to her community, and the whole community comes out. And they say, we are no longer believing because of what you said. We see him as the savior of the world. That seems to be pretty effective preaching. So we have a purpose, and, and all of us have that play. It's one of the biggest problems in the church around the world is really how women are viewed, how women often are seen as second-class citizens in terms of being disciples and witnesses of Christ. I had an aunt, Beth had an aunt, who was a nurse, and she served in the Congo for 40 years. And never was she allowed to get up and preach. <laughs> there or when she came back to, Can to the U.S. In that denomination, she couldn't do it. She was out there, man, in the middle of the jungle for 40 years. Like, get that. The church needs to wake up and we need to empower our people to engage their mission, their purpose. Jesus did it 2,000 years ago and we still stumble and bumble our way along to Bethlehem. So we need to wake up and hear and respond and empower our people. Hope, source, purpose. Jesus does this. Why? Because God is the God who comes towards us, towards you, towards me, to energize and strengthen your life. That's what it is all about. May we say yes. Receive him. Receive the spirit of worship and truth into our hearts and engage our part to weave this beautiful tapestry that God has created. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.